Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is the fourth and final episode of Scheme Month. We've had two defensive episodes, and this is the second of our offensive episode where we're going to talk about attacking coverages and, more importantly, Kyle Shanahan's, or some of Kyle Shanahan's concepts in which he attacks those coverages. So you'll get a little bit of football knowledge and a little bit of Kyle Shanahan knowledge. But first, let's get to the rundown and uh, we've got actually we've got we've got a pretty good rundown this week. It's uh, it's not a nothing rundown, which is good. It's <laughs> the first time in a while. It's not a nothing rundown. Yeah, we're getting close to football. So, you know, football beat writers are coming back from vacation. Uh, they're actually put paying attention to their stories. And more importantly, David is continuing to put in all of the work into pro football focus because he is the up and he's his official title. David, your official title is uh, future CEO. Pro football focus. <laughs> uh, that's probably a huge stretch. Don't anybody tell like Neil or Chris Collinsworth that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so one of the things that I've been been doing this offseason uh, uh, among many is kind of helping out with uh, some of the stuff that we're doing on social. So like I'm, I'm sure that if you guys follow the PFF Twitter account that you've noticed that there are uh, just loads and loads and loads of these data visualizations. Wow, I can get that one out. Um, But just trying to get more stats out there, right? Trying to get uh, more pieces of of all of this data that we have accumulated um, out there. And so uh, doing some research for that, I kind of found that uh, I was was looking into um, performance from skill position groups, because one of the things that um, I'd always really liked, like from a stat standpoint, was the lineup stats that you get from NBA, right? So you can kind of see um, which lineups are performing best, which have best offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, that sort of thing. Uh, and I always, Oh my God, sign JaVale McGee. He's the best center we've got. Blah. <laughs> um, but I always thought that that could really apply to like skill position players, right? Um, just because you got five of them there too. And, uh, and, and it, you know, teams, especially nowadays are, are rotating that, those groups out, um, pretty heavily. And so I thought it'd be interesting to look at, um, you know, kind of which of those did really well. And, and the 49ers actually had a group that ranked surprisingly well on that. So David sends me a text and he's like, hey, you know, check out this, you know, kind of this kind of skill position grouping. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. And at this point, PFF had just tweeted out Seattle. And I was like, let me let me go ahead and guess the other ones. The other ones, in case you're wondering, from best to to worst, from first to fifth, are the Patriots, the Steelers, the Washington controversies, uh, the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I wonder what the Niners are. They're probably like, I don't know, 33rd out of like 32 qualifying or whatever. It's actually more than 32 qualifying because each each kind of five skill position group players, you've got multiple per team. Uh, I think you've got what, 64, 65 or somewhere around there. Um, I mean, there's a yeah, there's a lot. Oh, there's, I, oh, no, there's I think there's uh, 56 total. Um, and, and so I was like, oh, I bet they're super low. And he's like, no, they're actually seventh. The five skill position person grouping of Carlos Hyde, Vance McDonald, Tory Smith, uh, Jeremy Curley, and, uh, one Mr. Patton, who is, you know, he gone. He, uh, they ranked seventh with 7.11 yards per play. So, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of weird. And and I thought to myself, well, why? That's curious, right? So like, th- th- there's a couple of theories we've got. 
But a couple notes about that that skill position grouping is that that they really were the best five on the field for the 49ers. They had a 2.37 yards per play difference uh, compared to the second highest ranking group with at least 70 snaps, meaning that that was the core group of players that the Niners could rely on for per play yards. Everyone else was pretty much garbage. And that was the, the, the second highest kind of disparate uh, uh, position grouping rankings uh, for, for groups with at least 70 snaps. So the question I've got for you, David, is why for an offense that seemed so crappy for most of the year, does this position group rank fairly high when it comes to you know comparing it to the likes of Green Bay, Seattle, Washington, and the Patriots? Because they weren't too far off the pace for Seattle. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty weird. Um, I mean, so yeah, the the difference that you mentioned there, so the two point three seven, that was the difference compared to. So if you if you looked at every other personnel grouping that they put out on the field, right, every other five man group. Um, so basically, only you know, all you had to do is take one of those guys off the field. the The team average for the forty ers outside of that one group was four point seven four yards per play, which sounds about right, right? Like that, that's like okay, this one makes more sense. That's a number that makes sense compared, uh, you know, based on what we saw last year. Um, and so when you look at that gap between what everybody else did and then what this one position group did. Uh, yeah, it was it was really big. The, only the Patriots group that ended up finishing first had a larger uh, difference between their, the rest of their team's uh, personnel groupings there. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, I it's you know, you start to get into some weird things with smaller samples. So, I mean, this group um, was on the field for 89 snaps uh, that, that counted. Uh, and that's I mean, it's roughly in line with, you know, I'll, I'll, the, the other groups that are kind of in the top 10 there. Um, there were only even two groups in the in the top ten that had over a hundred snaps together. Um, so you know you can get some weird things that pop up there. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean we saw the 49ers offense last year. I think be better at times than what we really expected, right? Like you know they were still bad all the time. Nobody's like trying to dispute that. But uh, they they seem to have moments here and there, and it uh, you know seems to be they may may have all happened and we didn't realize it like with this uh, like particular group on the field. Well, I've got, I've got two theories. One is the idea of garbage yards where, because this is why a stat like DVOA can be really helpful and really important because it gives you a performance over average for that specific play in that situation for what the team is trying to do. There's, there's no way in this stat to kind of differentiate between yards that are gained when the game is still on the line versus yards that are gained when it's a blowout or not. And the we know that the Niners could at times put up lots of yards even if the uh even if the the rest of the game was already out of hand. Um one question I've got for you David is does the yards per play only factor in the yards per play that these five skill positions garnered or does it also include, like, let's say, quarterback rush yards that were gained while this five-position group was on the field? This is what the offense gained when those five players were on the field. So if you take so every could, play where those five guys were were lined up on the field, this is what the offense averaged on those snaps. So this could also be lifted by Colin Kaepernick's rushing yards as well. So Colin, we know that Colin Kaepernick was a large, you know, kind of part of the offense, right? So, so this this could be seeing that bump, although. I guess that that is I mean, as I'm thinking through it, though. So with the other groups as well, but yeah. the other groups. So know, I mean, there's, they, they there's were, a fairly, um, you know, decent 
uh, and I can pull it up here if I, I stall long enough, but um, there, you know, there, there weren't like this one grouping wasn't on the field so much more than the other ones where you'd see like, you know, okay, Colin Kaepernick in, in his, um, you know, all of his rushing happened to come in this one group. Like it didn't really seem to be anything like that. Um, and I think it could make sense even in, uh, you know, even if you start to like, I'm sure a lot of it, you know, or at least at least a portion of it came in garbage time. Um, but when you look at so like the the 49ers last year ranked 23rd in offensive DVOA. Right. So if you think that, OK, we had this one group which was on the field, uh, looks like about nine percent of the time. Right. That happened to be really effective. And then we were really terrible the other 91 percent of the time. Like that makes sense, right? I get a below average, not necessarily bottom of the league, but, um, you know, firmly, comfortably below average offense. And that's what they were last year. And so I think, um, yeah, I mean, I would have to dig into more of the the film on those particular snaps to, to I think, get a better idea as to what was exactly happening, you know, um, with when that group was on the field. But um, I, I don't know, yeah, that there's really an easy i mean i'm sure it's there's a lot of randomness built in i don't know that there's like a a a clear like reason why this group was so much better i think my my only other theory would be the as funny as this is going to sound the vance mcdonald effect he had a couple of really long receptions over the course of the year and while in 2016 he, he didn't have you know a ton of yards i mean he had you know 24 receptions for 391 yards his yards per reception was still fairly high i mean it was 16.3 yards per reception, which was the highest of his career. And his long was 75 yards. And he had another, uh, I think, really long touchdown as well, where I think he had two of the three longest touchdown receptions for a tight end last year, if I'm not mistaken. I might be remembering that incorrectly, but he had a couple of really long receptions. Yeah, for sure. And when you're dealing with a small sample size, when you're dealing with just 90 plays, and you're dealing with a couple of really, really long, uh, long plays, we know that with averages... Uh, any kind of outlier, whether it be high or low, can really pull an average up or depress an average. So those are those are kind of my theories, is that you've got a little bit of the uh, the garbage yard effect, but then you've got a couple of really, really long plays with Vance McDonald that might be increasing the average if we're using that as a barometer. I have no idea whether or not that's true. Again, we, we haven't dug into it enough and we haven't watched the film. It was just something I thought that was super interesting given that there was such a disparity between how we know the offense performed and yet how that five person position group uh, fared. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I think, you know, there was some, so I'm just kind of starting to really dig into it and, and get some more in depth stuff out of it. Um, one thing. So if you're wondering why uh, maybe some of the numbers that mentioned are different than what I mentioned initially on Twitter and, and even what was in uh, kind of some of the graphics that went up on Twitter. Um, so initially when I ran these numbers, uh, I did include plays that were nullified by penalty. So that's why they're uh, just a little bit different when I've kind of rerun them here. And then the numbers that we just gave you on the podcast are uh, excluding uh, plays that were nullified by penalty. When you do that, so when, one of the other things I started looking at is is kind of like uh, run pass ratio in certain groups and like looking for different tendencies and, and whatnot. Uh, maybe one of the craziest things that I've seen so far. So after you exclude plays, uh, that, that were nullified by penalty, the Saints actually end up with the second highest yards per play average. So they had a group with uh, 7.85 yards per play, and they ran it a good amount. It had like one of the higher snap counts, uh, you know, uh, among the qualifying groups there. They passed 
98.3% of the time when that group was on the field and they still, so 114 pass attempts to just two run attempts when those five guys were on the field uh, and they still just torch people with it. Who are the five guys? Uh, I don't remember. I, the, the, the spreadsheet that I have them up right now is number only and I don't remember all of them. So it's like, it looks like Cooks. Uh, yeah, and I don't remember a lot of the other ones. Cooks, uh, dude with the like kind of fro blonde hair sneed willie sneed yeah i don't remember the other three i don't know their numbers off off the top of my head uh that well but yeah it was i thought that was just kind of crazy that they like out of 116 snaps they passed it or uh, they only ran it twice and still just like torch people with it and then hiding in plain sight i guess it works for uh for everyone huh uh but yeah but i thought that was uh it was an interesting little discussion but it that's not to say the 49ers were a good offense, but they, they had their moments, they had their flashes, even if they were in garbage time. But the, the second story in the rundown this week is going to be another article, I think, by Bill Barnwell on ESPN. He was posting about the most outsized contracts in the NFL. And I thought it was really interesting because he was talking basically about three-year compensation and how overplayed certain payers, how overpaid certain players were compared to everyone else. So he had kind of a, a percentage over baseline for that position and the 49ers did indeed win something they won <laughs> the number one most outside most outsized contract in the nfl and that is kyle use his three-year compensation being 15.45 million that puts him 202.4 percent over baseline you're gonna fail fail big i guess and and that's not even close to the second closest person that's an indomitian sue defensive tackle for the dolphins his three-year compensation is 80% over baseline. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot. That's a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> Niners, I mean, look, there's there's nothing that you can say other than the Niners really overpaid for a fullback. I mean, they grossly overpaid for a fullback. And there's no, I mean, like, I, I, I don't see why any rational person would argue otherwise. Like, it, it's one thing if you just want to accept that and say, like, look, yeah, they paid a shit ton of money for a fullback and, you know, hopefully he's decent. Like, there's no way that he lives up to this contract. The best version that's ever existed of Kyle Juszczyk is not going to be worth the amount of money that they paid him. Um, you could even argue that the, be the best version. You could even argue that the best version of a fullback, maybe in the history oh, of the NFL, is I, not worth this much money. <laughs> I would one hundred percent argue it. That I mean, that is the argument actually to me is like, yeah, there's just not a fullback that's existed ever that you know is worth that sort of money. It doesn't have that sort of impact on your offense. Um, and so and then that's nothing against Kyle. Like, it's shit, not his fault that they decided to to open up the wallet and uh, and give him. I'm all never going like, to I'm never going to hate a player for getting money. I'm never going to hate a player for getting money. Uh, uh, but this is just still funny. Yeah. And so it's just like, you know, it, it doesn't mean that he's going to be a bad player because of it or anything like that. Like, he can still be good and be a useful part of the offense. He's just not worth that money is really all it comes down to. It's the the whole uh valuation versus evaluation thing that we always talk about i was gonna say the the exact same thing that's the only thing that worries me in this case because we have two clear examples of a gm who is in his first year who seemingly got the valuation of two players incorrect and in my opinion that's kyle use and malcolm smith yeah i think he got the valuation of those two players incorrect and and i hope that that's just a bump in the road. I hope it's just a learning curve. I, I, I'm, it's e- it, even though I think that the contract is so outsized for Kyle Juszczyk, that's an easier pill for me to swallow than Malcolm Smith. 
because at least Kyle Juszczyk is arguably in the top two or three of his position group in the NFL. Yeah. Um, Malcolm Smith is not even in the top 34, maybe. <laughs> like, there's a strong chance that he's just, you know, really not good at all. Um, and, and people yeah. talking about him coming back to, uh, you know, the, the defense that he's familiar with. Like, even in Seattle, he had one good year. He had one good yeah. year where he played really well. It was the, the, the year that he ended up with the Super Bowl MVP. Um, and yeah. look, you know, props to him for doing that. But the players have these kind of outlier seasons all the time, and it doesn't make them that player all of the time. Um, we have a, a very a much larger sample that says he is not that player than the one that, you know, says that he's, you know, maybe one of the better linebackers in the league. So uh, the likelihood of him bouncing back to that very low. Yeah. So I think those are two. I mean, you mentioned it, though. It's like this is something to watch, right? Like, will these contracts kill the 49ers and are they going to put them in cap hell no. and they're going to be screwed? Like, no, they're, they're not. They're in a good cap situation still. They could afford to make these mistakes, but they can't afford to continue making these mistakes, right? They're eventually they're going to have to pay for a quarterback, uh, which is something that we're going to get into shortly. Uh, and, and when all of a sudden you have a quarterback that's making the type of money that top, you know, tier, even not, not even top tier, just like starting like top half starting caliber quarterbacks, are making the league like you can't afford to screw up on these type of deals on a fullback and a, a part-time linebacker. So speaking of paying a lot of money for a quarterback, let's talk about the topic du jour this week. And that is Kirk cousins. And uh, my favorite text that I got from David this week was that he has to mentally prepare himself uh, for Kirk cousins, because there's a lot that comes with the old cousins bandwagon. No, no, no. I'm going to start. I'm going to start to mentally prepare. I'm not, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about getting started mentally preparing for, uh, Kirk cousins. I'm just going to start texting you <laughs> gifts of you like that. Just at <laughs> interval, at interval, just to get you, you know, get you primed, get you warmed up. I'll, I'll basically be your Kirk cousins fluffer is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> so yeah. if you're not familiar with the Kirk Cousins uh, and what happened this week, he did not sign that long-term deal ahead of the deadline that he and the Washington Redskins had in order to, to basically not have him play on the franchise tag this year. And quite frankly, why the hell would he? He was going to be guaranteed – he is guaranteed $23.9 million this year. And the transition tag next year is going to be worth $28.8 million. Bruce Allen comes out and he's like, well – we were going to give him the most guaranteed money ever for a quarterback at $53 million. And that sure sounds like a lot, but he was going to get $24 million this year anyway, no matter what. And then next year, he's going to get $28.8 million. So really, when you add those two numbers together, you're really only looking at about $300,000 shy than $53 million. So, And they were going to sign him to a five-year deal. So you're saying, hey, Kirk, only take like $300,000 more dollars than you would get if you just played on a tag this year and a transition tag next year. But go ahead and guarantee us another three years that we can lock you in on at a cut rate deal because the rate that he was going to play on those final three years, according to Mike Jones from the Washington Post, was about like low $20 million range. So Kirk Cousins is staring at this deal and he's like, all right, I'm going to make $52.5 million, you know, or a little bit more than that anyway over these next two years, guaranteed if I stay with Washington. And then I can do whatever the hell I want. Or I can get that same 53 mil and then do a cut rate, non-guaranteed, low $20 million range deal and lock myself into Washington, which is a little weird and dysfunctional for three years. Nah, dude, I'll just take the 53 mil and do whatever the hell I want after two years anyway. 
<laughs> like it's it, it's just so simple. And he can do he can take the twenty the the twenty three point nine mil this year, and because next year will be a transition tag, and the transition tag the benefit for Washington is that the 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 money is lower than the full exclusive rights tag, but the 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 bad part for them is that they won't get any compensation if he signs somewhere else. If you're Kirk Cousins, you, you're like, I can play this year and get 23, you know, 24 mil and sign a long-term deal with San Francisco next year. It's a win-win either way. Like this is Washington played this in the most horrible way they could have played this by not signing him sooner and locking him up sooner. And now they're going to come out with this BS like, you know, oh, well, we offered him a lot of money. No. You did not offer him that much money because you played it wrong. You painted yourself into a corner. And now David has to mentally prepare himself, and I'm going to be his Kirk Cousins fluffer. <laughs> this is what you've done, Bruce Allen. This is what you've done. Uh, it's just so, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously Cousins is in a great situation. Washington screwed this up so, so badly that he has all of the leverage. And, and he, I mean, very clearly, like, doesn't want to be there. Um, and, and so... Ah, it's just frustrating, though. So I, I forget who it was. And I apologize. Like somebody on Twitter made the comment that uh, Kirk Cousins is, you know, the type of quarterback that if you have him, you pay him. But you don't chase him if you're if you don't already have him. Right. So if if you're not the team, you know, if you're Washington, you should have paid him a couple of years ago. Right. He's good enough that you, you just that's the way it works with quarterbacks. You just got to go pay him. But he's not good enough that if you don't have him, that you should go chase him and give him, you know, the contract that he's certainly going to get next year. Uh, and I think that's where I'm at. I think that's like the perfect way to describe Kirk Cousins right now um, is, yeah, I, I mean, he's is he a good quarterback? Like, yeah, I think so. Like you could do a hell of a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. Um, I think he's well above, you know, I think he's firmly above the Alex Smith line. Uh, that that we've referenced here before. Formerly the is, Andy Dalton line. Formerly the Andy Dalton, the the kind of perfectly average, right? If everything else on your team uh, is is in really good shape, yeah, you're you're doing okay. Um, I think he's you know he's a better quarterback than that, but I'm not ready to like go pay him, you know, top of the. I'm not I'm not ready to make him the highest paid like quarterback of all time, right? Highest paid NFL player of all time. Like that doesn't sound like a cool thing to do to me. The injustice of the NFL is that Kirk Cousins is going to make more in three years than Tom Brady has in the last five. <laughs> like, I mean, like, and I don't know if that's Tom Brady's own damn fault. Well, yeah, Tom Brady was, you know, he was he was ring chasing, but people shouldn't ring chase because that's weird. Uh, whatever. Katie forever. So the 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 funniest part, what, <laughs> the 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 thing about the only thing that you could say about Kirk Cousins not signing this deal is that, well, he's not protected against injury, but he plays quarterback, dude. Like, he plays quarterback. This is basically the only position that, foot, that the football rules are made to protect. Derek Carr broke his ankle in week 16 last year, and he's just fine. He signed his deal. He's getting his money. He can buy a whole lot of eyeliner, and, and it'll be great. And this is with a broken oh, ankle, you know? Like he, like, and that's, like, that's one of the most catastrophic things. Even if he tore an ACL, he'd be okay. Um, he plays quarterback, right? Like it's not the same kind of physically demanding position as a running back. Yeah. Uh, Brian Hoyer was asked about Cousins uh, when he did a segment on NFL Live, and he said exactly what he needed to say. He said, "Just don't worry about things you can't control because it really doesn't do you any good." Uh, and that's, I mean, that's the only thing he can say. 
I mean, he's yeah, getting but, backup money already. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obvious that, you know, like you don't have to look really hard to know that Brian Hoyer is the bridge quarterback, right? He knows it. Like, I'm sure they positioned it to him that way. His salary says it. Like, everything about the situation says it. And there's, yeah, I mean, there's not much else you can do. Like, uh, it's kind of, you know, whatever. You, yeah, control the things you can control and don't worry about the other bullshit. Um, yeah. God, the best part, though, the best part, though, is that Bruce Allen, the, the GM of the Redskins, is... I don't know if he's doing it on purpose or if he just doesn't know his quarterback's name. but Or maybe he's got early onset dementia. Who the hell knows? The Redskins probably might think so. But he keeps calling Kirk Cousins, like Captain Kirk, Kurt Cousins, like Kurt Schilling. Uh, so, I mean, basically, this is all you need to know about how the Redskins are handling this. Kurt. 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 Kurt is Kurt's. Kurt, 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 Kurt. I just, Kurt. I can't stop listening to it. It just sounds like Kurt, 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 Hashtag Curdy Kurt. Curdy Kurt. That's it. Curdy Kurt. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to the meat of the episode. Let's get to Ski Month. This is the fourth out of four episodes. Ski Month is indeed coming to an end. And this week, we're going to be talking about attacking coverages. So, how do NFL offenses attack the more common coverages that defenses run? This week, we're going to explore different passing concepts that Kyle Shanahan likes to run that attack some of those popular coverages. And the one thing, the one theme that you'll find in many instances in the plays that we're going to call out and the passing concepts that we're going to call out are about are is really all about putting defenders in conflict. If you can make them think, if you can make them pause just a little bit, if you can make them have to rely on something other than their ridiculous athleticism, then oftentimes you put your offense in an advantageous position. And Kyle Shanahan, for lots of reasons, is really, really good at doing that thing. So we're going to cover a couple of very prominent or or common coverages. We're going to cover cover two, cover four, or quarters. We're going to cover cover three, and man. And we're going to talk really briefly about what the defense is, why somebody would run the defense, give you a little bit of context about which teams in the NFL run that defense, the weak spots, and then the Shanahan passing concept. So what is it? Why run it? Some context, the weak spots, and the Shanahan passing concept. So that's what we're going to tackle this episode. And first up is ye old cover two, ye old faithful. Uh, we talked about this very briefly uh, when we were, I mean, Monty Kiffin, we talked about him running this in 1977 with Arkansas, right? This is what they ran. It's been around for a while. So David, what the hell is the cover two? So if we remember back, you know, a couple of episodes when we talked about uh, you know, the 49ers secondary, right? There were a couple of, you know, buckets that we like to put these coverages into, right? So the first one was, is the middle of the field open or closed? And and that just means, is there a safety in the middle of the field deep that's going to help me out? And this, this is a middle of the field open coverage, right? Those safeties are split. Nobody uh, is, is directly in the deep middle area of that field. Um, and then from there, the kind of the next layer to that is is it going to be man coverage? Is it going to be zone coverage? Or is it going to be some sort of pattern match? And and, and we're going to stick to mostly kind of the generic um, baseline versions of these coverages. And so cover two uh, is going to be your zone coverage. And you're really looking at, again, those two safety safeties that are your deep defenders. And then you have five underneath defenders to kind of cover the short zones there 
um, really kind of spread across the, the width of the field. So that's why you would want to run the defense is because you've got the benefit of the strong underneath coverage and you also have safety help over the top. You can also add a couple of wrinkles where you can add a, a jam to the outside wide receiver to disrupt some of the timing. So this is basically a defense that helps prevent against the big play, but still doesn't leave you vulnerable underneath. Now, the Steelers ran the most cover two last season. They ran this 39.5% of the time, which, I mean, that's like, I mean, that's a lot. Because even when you get to cover three teams, like they didn't run it that much. I mean, they, they were a heavy cover two team. But despite this having some strengths and despite it giving you five underneath defenders uh, and some help over the top, it does still definitely have some weak spots. Definitely. And I think the first one uh, is, is kind of funny because you, you'll see this actually referred to a lot as the, the cover two hole. Um, and really, that's the area. So the corners in cover two are playing, you know, again, we mentioned that you, you can kind of get up and jam the outside receivers. They're responsible for the flat. Um, and, and so they're going to be kind of in that shorter zone area. And then, of course, we got, our, again, our two deep safeties that are over the top of that. And so there's a, a space like along the sideline that's just behind where that cornerback is going to be at, but still in front of where the safety is going to be able to get to. Uh, and, and that's going to, you know, usually it's going to be in like that 18 to 25 yard range, depending on the depth of the safeties. Um, but yeah, that's that's your cover two hole. That's going to be kind of uh, one of the main areas that offenses will look to attack. And then the other area is actually the deep middle of the field. So between those two safeties, if you can split those safeties, um, you know, that's going to be kind of a, a big area that you can exploit. And that's actually kind of why you ended up with uh, the Tampa two variant of this, which is um, probably the most common like teams that run this pretty heavily tend to use this in, in kind of today's NFL because uh, it, it really can get picked apart. I think if you can get some protection, you know, in some of these deep areas. So you'll see a lot. The Tampa two variants going to have that Mike linebacker, that middle linebacker drop, you know, quite a bit deeper than normal and, and basically almost play like another deep defender in the middle of the field. Um, and, and so that's something that you're going to see there. But if, if you're not doing that kind of the vanilla baseline version of cover two, that deep middle area is going to be, uh, you know, one of the big weak spots in this this coverage. So what's one of the preferred concepts that Kyle Shanahan likes to use to attack a cover two defense? The, the, he's, there, there are several. We're only going to pick one play per defense, uh, even though there are definitely more than one play that can attack this type of defense. But the, the concept here that we're going to cover is the sail concept. And the sail concept is a three-man vertical stretch featuring a go route up the sideline, a corner route, and a flat route. So the go route is pretty important because it's going to occupy the deep safety. On a traditional cover two, the corner is going to sink down low or is going to stay low, not sink low. They're going to stay low and they're going to let any go route carry deep. Well, once that safety begins to feel threatened, he's going to go with that that go route and he's going to get himself out of the play. Now, the cornerback, who's the flat defender, is put into conflict. He's either going to be occupied by the flat receiver or he's going to have someone running a corner route behind him. And the quarterback basically has to make him wrong. If he goes down and covers the flat, then the corner's open. And if he goes to the corner, then the flat's open, and you can pick up some easy yardage. And, and so this is how you take you know one route and get the safety coverage out of the way, and then take one cornerback and put him in conflict, and hopefully have the quarterback read to make him wrong. And, and sale is actually a concept, too, that... 
uh, is very good against most of the coverages that we're going to talk about. Like it's it's one of the most popular concepts in the NFL because uh, it, it's so versatile, right? It can be good against cover two because really you're looking, you're hoping to, to be able to attack that, that hole, right? That cover two hole, because you're hoping that the corner stays low on the flat route. And then you've got a big play there with the corner route, um, you know, running wide open essentially into that area. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's versatile. It's going to be able to help out, you know, it's going to be able to defeat cover three d- defeat man as well, using a lot of the same principles. So, um, a, a really versatile one that you'll you should expect to see a good amount of this season with Shanahan. And this is probably one of my favorite concepts that I saw Shanahan run last year. And there were lots of them, but this one was my favorite because I remember him running this play in the divisional game against Seattle. And I'm sitting in a bar and I'm watching the game on the big screen and they ran this play for a touchdown where they run the sale concept. But the corner route was run by Tevin Coleman out of the backfield. And as soon and you see you watch this this game on tape and I'm going to tweet out a link to it a little bit later after the show. So you'll be able to check the Twitter feed for what this play looks like. But you just see this gigantic hole open on the sideline in the end zone. And Tevin Coleman is running absolutely free and and just Shanahan's ability to to attack a cover three defense, which is what, uh, you know, again, it, it works against multiple coverages. And in this case, they ran it against the cover three against Seattle. But the the ability to do it and switch up the, the route running and have a running back run that corner route out of uh, the formation was just something that you don't see often because he knew his personnel. He knew what their skills were. And he used a little wrinkle to attack the defense in a way that was, I mean, it was great. It ended up in a touchdown. Uh, and, and so, it's a concept that will work against cover two, and it's a concept that Kyle Shanahan can run from a lot of different formations and a lot of different looks. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point, actually, um, too, that's, that's worth mentioning, that um, the idea that, you know, it, it comes from this different spot. And I think that's a really good thing to focus on when you're trying to, you know, determine what these passing concepts are. So if you have game pass and you're watching that that coach's tape, and you're trying to figure out, okay, like what what sort of passing concept are they running here? Uh, try really hard not to focus on the specific player running the route, right? Kind of look at the distribution after it happens and say, okay, with Sale, I know that that features, I got somebody going deep, I got somebody running a corner route, I got somebody in the flat. And it doesn't matter where they come from. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll see actually variants um, where you can get you can get on play action as well with this. You see this in college a good amount where instead of the corner route, they'll actually get uh, somebody that's that's aligned kind of tight to the formation on the opposite side, run a deep crossing route. But you're still going to get it into that same area. Right. So the distribution after everybody gets where they're supposed to be going is the same. I got somebody deep. I got somebody kind of in that intermediate area in that hole. and I got somebody in the flat. And that's really what you're looking for. So that's uh, I think the thing to focus on is where they end up, not necessarily where they start, because that's where somebody like Kyle Shanahan, that's really, really great at this stuff, um, is going to try to mix that up. Right. That's the thing that you want to key on with defense is we talk all the time that there's not a ton of different passing concepts. A lot of times teams run largely the same. You know, they're, they're all picking from the same bucket, essentially. Um, some of them have ones that are, you know, maybe more preferred than others, but you know, you see a lot of similarities and it's really how they package those things that that is kind of the difference. So the next defense is going to be cover four or quarters. What the hell is the defense? Well, if cover two is a middle of the field open defense, so is cover four because there's no safety in the middle of the field. 
This one is a little different, though, in that you're not just going to have two safeties deep. You're going to have four deep defenders, and you're going to have the corners usually occupying a one quarter of the field where the safeties are going to also occupy or cover one quarter of the field, hence the name quarters. Cover four quarters. If you don't know why uh, four quarters make a dollar, I can't help you. Just delete your account. <laughs> Stop it right now. Uh, so this is going to be a zone coverage defense with some man principles depending on the route concept. But the basic structure is you've got four deep defenders and three underneath defenders. The, the qualifying or the concept or the qualifying thing is going to be really the, those four deep defenders. So, David, why would you run the cover four defense? So, the, I mean, really one of the big things and why you see this coverage a lot is to help, you know, stop four verticals, which is something that we talked about. It's really good there because basically, you know, for the most part, offenses are are not going to send more than four receivers deep down the field. And so by running quarters, you have a defender for every single one of those potential receivers. So it's a good coverage, uh, you know, to help out against that. And and you have, again, that kind of deep shell. And and so it's generally going to kind of help you prevent some big plays uh, if things are going well for you. Um, and, and you look at teams, you know, that ran this a good amount last year, the giants were the most quarters heavy team, uh, ran it just over 12% of the time, uh, within their coverages was, which was actually a little bit lower than I kind of expected for, you know, the leader. Yeah, with this. I thought the same thing. Um, but I mean, teams really single high coverage is, is kind of the big thing. And I mean, cover three, cover one are really the, uh, the dominant coverages by a, a solid amount when you look league wide. So Um, I guess in that respect, maybe it shouldn't be too surprising. But yeah, the Giants were, you know, a team if you want to kind of turn on some film that you can expect to see some of that coverage for. Obvious weak spots, if you've been paying attention, are going to be underneath. You've only got three underneath defenders. So it's pretty easy for a team to outman you with quick passing concepts underneath, especially if you've got flood to any one side, because this is a defense that is really made to prevent four verticals and four verticals is a deep passing concept. So your underneath zones are going to be the weak spots and cornerbacks can be vulnerable, especially if you're able to occupy the safety. And so this is where the passing concept that Kyle Shanahan likes to run is going to become very, very important. And that's going to be the dagger. Yeah. So one of the things that that's really important to understand kind of why this concept works uh, is, is with how quarters coverage works in regard to the safeties. So um, again, the safeties, they're, they're middle of the field open, right? They're at each side of the field, but it's a little bit different than cover two. They're not really playing deep over the top of everything. They're actually going to be closer to the line of scrimmage. And really what they're looking at is kind of the number two receiver uh, on their side of the field. So the, the guy in the slot, count outside in, right? So the number two guy. And what they're looking for is to see what that receiver does, what kind of route he runs, right? So if he you know, breaks off something short, you know, quick to the outside, then then he can go help elsewhere. But if that receiver runs vertical, then he's basically going to pick him up in man coverage. So if that receiver runs anything, you know, that breaks after about eight yards or so, you know, uh, give or give or take a couple yards on either end there, um, then that, you know, safety effectively becomes a man coverage player on that guy. And so you can look with passing concepts to kind of take advantage of that. And that's what dagger does. So Dagger is is really going to be focused on, uh, you know, two guys to one side of the field. And on the inside, from the inside player, you're getting that vertical route. So just a deep route straight down the field to really occupy that safety. And then on the outside, you're looking at a dig route, which is that, you know, deep in-breaking route that usually breaks right around 15 to 18 yards. 
And so the reason this is so effective is one, you're getting that safety out of the picture. So you're kind of clearing this area in the middle of the field. And then two, that dig route is really tough for the cornerback to cover in this coverage because he's typically going to be playing, you know, in a lot of zone concepts, um, cornerbacks are playing with outside leverage, right? Uh, a lot of the time in this coverage, you see it a good amount. So he's already kind of at a disadvantage based on where he's aligned to begin the play. Because again, you have an in-breaking route and he's on the outside. And so that combined with the space that you get from the clear out on the inside, you know, allows you to really pick up some big kind of chunk plays with this concept. Um, Something that really, again, benefits, you know, a lot of this stuff benefits from play action, but this is one, if you can bring those linebackers up to the line of scrimmage, that hole gets even larger uh, and, and you're talking about some big plays that can be generated with this concept here. And the dig route might as well, I mean, for Atlanta, be the Julio Jones route because he runs this route with absolute precision. And you are so worried that you've got, because remember at the initial stem, you've got two receivers, both the outside guy and the slot guy, running straight at the safety and running straight at the corner. And then about 15, 18 yards in, the slot guy keeps running and Julio Jones just makes a ridiculous cut inside like he can on a dime. The corner has no idea what the hell is happening. And you're probably playing this with play action. So the linebackers are sucked up. And all of a sudden you've got this huge void in the middle of the field at about 15, 18 yards. And it's just pitch and catch for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. And, and that's how the and we're not and we're not even going to talk about running plays and, and how, you know, kind of this is the only time we'll really talk about play action. But this is how you can really begin to see how all of this stuff works together in concert to create space to make it easy for a quarterback and a receiver to connect. And that ultimately is really the beauty among how you attack the the concepts, but how you execute everything in a concert, you know, strung together is kind of this weird dance that makes Kyle Shanahan's offense so effective. Definitely. And and I would expect, you know, my guess uh, this year, and, and we'll, you know, start to figure a lot of this stuff out soon here once preseason starts. But um, I, I would expect this is going to be, you know, the Pierre Garçon route here. So I, I would guess that he's the guy that's going to kind of uh, be able to run where you have somebody more, you know, a little bit speeder, maybe one of your deep threats in Goodwin or Robinson kind of stretching uh, vertically and taking that safety out of the picture there and, and then let Garçon come underneath it there. So that's something that I would, uh, again, expect to see a, a pretty solid amount this season. So the next defense we'll cover is going to be the the Nouveau defense, the cover three. I have no idea if I use Nouveau right in that context, but we'll go Let's with it. Let's run with it, yeah. Let's run with it, <laughs> yep. So the cover three, what is it? It's a middle-of-the-field closed defense because there is a safety in the middle of the field. Generally, there is zone coverage behind it. You've got three deep defenders and four underneath defenders. This is going to be the preferred concept that the 49ers are going to be running this season under Robert Sala. This is the new defense that everyone loves to run because of Seattle, because of you know, this is the, the lengthy corner whole thing. You, know, you, you probably can identify it fairly easy when you see Seattle play and when you see the corners drop and you see the center safety stay in the middle of the field. We talked a lot last week about why you would run the defense. It's a pretty safe coverage. Was that last week? No, that was two weeks two ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago. We talked about why you would run the defense. So quick recap. It is indeed a safe coverage. You've got three deep defenders to help you prevent the deep ball, but you're still able to maintain four underneath defenders to give you solid coverage versus short concepts. And 
you get that extra defender down in the box, usually your strong safety, in this case, Eric Reed, in Seattle's case, Cam Chancellor, to help the defend against the run. So it is a good, versatile base defense for your defensive backfield to stay in. Yeah, and I think, uh, so when you, you start looking at teams that are running this a lot, you know, I think, uh, obviously, we've already mentioned the Seahawks multiple times here. You'd expect them uh, and maybe some of those other teams that are running that defense to be leading the pack here and that actually wasn't the case so the panthers plot twist uh ran the most you know kind of pure cover three last year they ran it about a third of the time uh i mean the jaguars falcons and seahawks still ran it a lot you know they ran it more than 25 percent of their snaps but you actually see those teams run a, a bit more man coverage a bit more cover one so it's still single high which you know we'll we'll get into that here uh next with the next coverage type but um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people would probably be surprised by that, that yes, they're running single high, uh, the wide majority of the time we, we covered that, uh, you know, two weeks ago in, in talking about the 49ers secondary, but it's, it's still more man than cover three, because I think cover three, um, it can really be, you know, even when you start putting some of the variants on there that, that Seattle has really pioneered recently, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a pretty basic coverage. And, and if you run that a ton NFL quarterbacks are going to eat you up. So you got to mix it in. It's good to do some of the the variations that, you know, the Seattle version of this coverage likes to do. Um, but it's still not something that you want to be in the majority of the time. Which is why I find it so interesting that cover two, which was the preferred coverage of the Giants, they ran almost 40% of the time. You're talking and I think about they were teams. kind of an outlier with that too. Um, yeah. I can, yeah, I can it's pull just so up weird. The, the rest of it there. But yeah, there that wasn't like... Uh, Every Common. team, yeah, doing that. So, like, um, yeah. I think there were only a couple teams that were running it over 30% of the time. Yeah, that that that's, that's just so interesting to me. But, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll dig in a little bit later and figure out why. But, ultimately, you do have some weak spots with the cover three. And the two weak spots are going to be in the seams and with flood routes. The seams are going to be a problem for this defense, of course, because if you're running two receivers up at the safety you're putting that safety in conflict and he's going to have to choose one or the other if both are running into his area but also with flood routes you've got a pretty even distribution of defenders across the field and if you overload one side of the field with three or sometimes four receivers you're oftentimes creating mismatches just because of a numbers game you've got maybe two receivers on the outs or two defenders on the outside of the field sometimes three depending on where your route distributions are and you can easily flood that with three or four route runners and so you're just winning with numbers and, and you're sale, just outmanning actually. the defense. Sale yeah, is yeah. is a flood concept, right? You're getting uh, more you, because you're you're getting players at three different levels on one Along portion the of the defense where they only have two levels of of defenders, right? So, um, yeah, sale is is kind of a perfect example of what that flood uh, type of concept is. And in the play that I'll tweet out, it actually is run against cover three because it's run against Seattle. But the passing concept that we're going to that we're going to call and highlight here is going to be four verticals because four verticals is a really, really great way to attack cover three. And it's one that the Niners did not use to great effect when Colin Kaepernick was the quarterback of the 49ers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, four verts uh, is a problem. I mean, it, it is it is something that every defense, you know, you need to have an answer for it. You need to be kind of ready for that, because if if not. Uh, you know, quarterbacks can really pick you apart in those teams and, and create some big plays in the passing game there. Uh, this is something that every single offense runs 
Um, but so, of course, you know, we'll we'll see it with Shanahan here. But, yeah, you mentioned it. it's it's all about putting the safety in conflict. Right. So you have two guys running up the seam and, and the seam again, just for, for kind of clarification there is that area that's kind of in between the hash marks and the numbers. Um, and really, you're looking to get it in, in sort of probably that 15 to 20 something yard range, uh, you know, before the safety can get there, but beyond the under, underneath coverage. Um, and that's the area that this is really weak at. If you don't have a free safety in the middle of the field that can really uh, have the range to be able to make plays on these type of passes. And so from an offensive perspective, though, it's it really is on the quarterback. The quarterback has to beat the safety. Right. So it's on the receivers. Um, this was something that we heard. You know, we talked about four verts a lot, actually, with Chip Kelly. This is a Chip Kelly favorite as well. And, and Chip constantly talked about the quarterback has to beat the safety. Right. It's the receiver's responsibility to, you know, get into the seam, to make themselves available, to, you know, get past any sort of reroute from the underneath coverage and get into that area. But they can't do anything about the safety in the middle of the field, right? That's the quarterback's responsibility. He has to make sure that he's not leading him directly to the direction uh, that he's trying to throw the ball to. Uh, and so it, it's kind of on him to to make that play to kind of, uh, you know, get the quarterback or excuse me, get the free safety to, to move one direction, throw the other direction. And that's how he's going to find, you know, a lot of success with this concept. One other variant that can sometimes give this coverage trouble is with the outside receivers and an option route that they can have to convert their routes to comebacks. If the cornerbacks are playing off and the receiver cannot get over the top. So it makes the safety's conflict all the more real because he's still got to worry about those two seam defenders. But then you've got the defensive backs that are dropping down into coverage for their third of the field. And all of a sudden, you've got someone like an Aldrick Robinson who's running full steam ahead or a Marquise Goodwin who's running full steam ahead. And then the defensive back opens their hips to carry them deep. And then Goodwin just completely does a comeback and he's wide open for, you know, a 15-yard game. So you'll oftentimes see, if you look at route distributions for very speedy receivers, you'll oftentimes see their route distribution as some combination of go route and hitch route. And that's because the go route and, and the comeback are really complementary routes where if you're going to run a lot of go routes, well, then the counter is to just run a comeback. And and that's what four verticals, if you have an option route built in for your outside receivers, also allows you to do. So you can both attack the safety and attack the defensive backs. And so kind of the last remaining coverage bucket here is going to be man coverage. And the reason we saved this one for last is, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different attacking man coverage um, and even putting man coverage into some of the, the kind of, groups that we we've been trying to put things into uh just works a little bit differently so man coverage can be either middle of the field open or middle of the field closed right depending on how many pass rushers you're trying to send after the quarterback so you have uh open variations which is going to be two man which is going to be probably the most common and cover zero which is uh infrequently used that's going to be you know a, a blitz heavy essentially everybody's going after the quarterback except for how many guys we need to to cover the receivers going out for a pass and then I have a middle of the field close version with cover one, right? And, and again, mentioned that that's going to be really the dominant coverage in the NFL today. That's what most teams are, are going to be running heavily. One safety in the middle of the field, man coverage underneath of that. Um, you know, we talked about some of the uh, things that you can do in that a couple of weeks ago where you have, you know, really, it's really strong in the middle of the field. So you see that a lot these days. And, um, you know, when you move into the other buckets, obviously this is man coverage. Every every pass target has a defender that's assigned to them in man coverage. And then depending on which variation you're running, you're going to get either 
no deep help or one or two safeties over the top to kind of help you out. And that's why you run it, right? That's why you run it is because every potential receiver is accounted for. And so there's no, there's none of this stuff about running, you know, concepts to holes. You don't have any, you know, weak spots from a field distribution standpoint. It's, I got this guy and can I hold up with him in man coverage? So for a bit of context, if you want to know which teams were running man coverage, most of the, or or rather were running man coverage the most is you have the, the Denver Broncos running the most man coverage, running it at 71.2% of the time. And I would imagine that it's a little easier to run man <laughs> coverage the better your corners are. Yeah, when you have and, that trio of cornerbacks, you probably want to yeah. run a lot of man coverage for sure. Yeah, you you do you. <laughs> you do your thing. I'm going to go ahead and let you do what we pay you for. And so it makes a ton of sense that they ran a lot of man coverage. But you've got the Cardinals running man at 62% of the time, the Seahawks running at 60% of the time, uh, and they ran the most cover one. Yeah, that, those percentages were cover one specific. Oh, for cover one. Yeah, not all man coverage. So they ran it a little bit higher when you look at all man, but that was specifically cover one. And then the Packers ran the most two man at 15.6% of the time. So that is, uh, you know, a, a fairly low percentage just because, you know, that it is what it is. But the the weak spots for man defense it isn't really going to be a spot. And we kind of alluded to it more so with the Broncos, but it, it's really going to be more about just the way that, you know, humans run and whether or not those humans are good at football. Um, <laughs> so it's it basically with man coverage, everyone is accounted for. So the two dominant ways to defeat man coverage are going to be by isolating someone because they are just a better receiver than the defender or by trying to cross people up. So this is where you see bunch receivers where they're doing a lot of confusing things and they're crossing patterns to create pick or rub situations to get a receiver free or to just create confusion so that you can confuse some of the rules that the defense is keying off of in order to get someone open and free. And so that's pretty much how you beat man. I mean, if you've got Julio Jones, I'm better at you than football. So I'm just going to go ahead and run a better route and I'm going to get open and there's not much you can do to stop me. Um, Or if you are someone like a Julian Edelman, well, you're going to line up in a bunch formation, maybe in the slot, and you're going to run a rub route with, I don't know, Rob Gronkowski or something. And you're going to get a defensive back, uh, you know, kind of bumping into Rob. You're going to have a lot of space and off you go. So there's a lot of different ways that that looks, but it really comes down to two major buckets. And, and I think so for the 49ers, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of guys currently uh, that you're going to want to isolate pretty heavily. Like Pierre Garçon's good. Uh, he had a really good year <laughs> last year, um, and he's probably the guy if you had to pick one. Um, but I don't know that you're looking at this receiver group right now and saying, yeah, we want to uh, really look to isolate one of these guys on on a defender because, you know, in a lot of weeks, that's not going to go so well for you. So you're really Trent Taylor. Hey, Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor is my guy, man. I think he's going to be he's going to be pretty good. So, yeah, maybe maybe you want to isolate. I know you still probably don't want to isolate Trent Taylor. Um, <laughs> and, and so so you're really going to be looking at, you know, man coverage for the 49ers and beating that is going to be looking at more of that that cross concept. Right. I need, I need to find a way to create some some rub situations some pick situations to get somebody free. And so one of the ways that you'll see Shanahan do that is with a, a concept that we're going to basically call follow. Um, and, and you'll see different terms for this trail is another one. But basically, um, it's it's the you're really focusing on two guys. In this. so there are some other components to it, but it's really two guys that, that are kind of the, the core of this concept. And the first one's going to be somebody running a sort of a shallow drag. So if you uh, just kind of a short 
you know, under six yards across the field type of route there. And the second guy is the follow player, the trail player. And so he's going to start outside like he's going to be running to the flat, which is something that you see, you know, in a bunch of different other concepts uh, that, that kind of start out looking the same way. Right. So he starts out to the flat, but then he's going to break hard back to the middle of the field and follow that drag route. Right. So he's going to get kind of uh, right behind that and work into the space that that drag route creates. Um, and you'll see this from, uh, you know, bunch formations uh, where you have, you know, two or three guys kind of grouped together uh, to one side of the formation. You could see this follow route come out of the backfield, which is obviously something that, uh, you know, he ran a good amount of last year, considering the running backs that he had in Atlanta. Um, and so you can see, again, these come from different spots. But that's really the idea is I get a drag route kind of clearing things out, clearing the middle of the field out, pulling the defender that direction. And I'm going to have a player follow right in behind him. And that's the guy that I'm, I'm looking to create the advantage for, because a lot of times the guy that uh, is covering that player, not only are you, again, selling the flat route, selling the outside, but he's a lot of times already aligned outside. So, it, again, it's one of those situations kind of like dagger where you have a route that's really good, that's running to some open space against a defender that's typically going to be in kind of a disadvantage just based on his initial alignment. So there was one play where Shanahan put this on display, and it was a long play, not quite a touchdown, but it was a long play where Devonta Freeman ran the follow route. And I'm going to post this to the Twitter feed as well so you can see what this looks like, IR life. But you see the drag defender clear out a space, and then you see Devonta Freeman run into that space. And he's just, again, kind of a little better than the person who's trying to cover him because it's usually a linebacker. And all of a sudden, he is in space, catches the ball, makes one move on the poor safety, poor Deshaun Shedd. He's not Earl Thomas. Uh, and, and Deshaun Shedd basically breaks an ankle trying to move back into the middle of the field. But by that point, Devonta Freeman's gone. And he ends up, I think it's like a 53-yard gain or something like that. And, and it's, 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 per, it's run perfectly. It's called at a great time. And it's called against the team that, again, runs heavy man because that's what the Seahawks do. And they did it last year uh, with cover one, which is where Shed got beat uh, at 60% of the time. So you've got and these these concepts, right? When we talk about the defenses and we talk about sale beating the cover two, we talk about the dagger beating cover four or quarters. We talk about four verts beating cover three. And we talk about the follow concept beating man defenses. These aren't the only concepts that you will see teams run. Kyle Shanahan probably has a list of 15 to 20 concepts that will beat any defense run out of hundreds of you know different formations or run out of different formations giving you hundreds of different plays. And so these aren't the only ones, but they are, I think, good examples of plays that you can easily identify on game day, whether you've got game pass or with film that you can say, okay, I see what they were trying to do there. They're trying to, you know, kind of attack the soft spot in the zone, or they're trying to, you know, isolate a player. If you've got someone like a Julio Jones or something like that to really begin to put together what the dance is between offensive and defensive coordinators, because it's a lot of fun when you can begin to pick up some of these things. Definitely. I mean, it's one of the, I mean, at least for me, uh, you know, I, I remember like first, starting to learn about a lot of the stuff and like the first and it's one thing to like okay i understand this because it was this way for me for a really long time where it's like okay like i see this on paper and i i see like the x's and o's here and, and like this generally kind of makes sense to me like i i understand what's trying to happen here but then taking that and like being able to identify it 
uh, when you're actually watching the game is is like a completely different thing. And it's it's like one of the most satisfying things in the world. You're like, oh, man, like I know what they were trying to do there. Like I, I recognize this from something that I studied before. And this is like what's happening here on this play. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's it's like a really satisfying thing to do. And hopefully, um, you know, having these the scheme month in general, like will help you have more of those moments this season. That's the hope, ultimately, right? The hope is, uh, and we don't say it often, but the hope is that we make y'all better rivals when you're uh, arguing with your friends about football, uh, and hopefully the the knowledge helps. There was a, a couple of other friends of mine got in this huge text message war about super teams in the NBA, and it was just, oh man, it was, uh, you know, sports sports wars are fun. Uh, my, my contribution to that whole conversation, I like turtles. That was it. It was like this huge, <laughs> long, like five minute argument about super teams and LeBron James and Kevin Durant. And I just uh, chimed in with, I like turtles. I can't, I can't get into those conversations. I can't do it. I just like, yeah, no, your head explodes. Yeah, I get it. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Uh, but <laughs> if you get to this part of the episode, hit us up with the call to action this week. It's going to be hashtag Curdy Kurt. Uh, you can spell it with a C. You can tell it with a K. It's up to you, really, how you want to spell it. You can do Bruce you Allen do you. doesn't care. Why should you? Exactly. Bruce Allen doesn't care. <laughs> Why should you? Uh, make sure that you... Uh, I think the, the rankings that I participated in are coming out on Niners Nation. So if you want to get deep into how we rank the 90-man roster, those are coming out on Niners Nation. Definitely check out Pro Football Focus's Twitter because David's excellent work on the yards per play for certain position groups, for certain skill position groups, are released out there for the world to see. And, of course... You've got next week, which we're finally going to have, I think, a little bit of training camp stuff to talk about next week, because uh, I think training camp starts think, sometime in the next... I think we're going to beat uh, it a little bit. Yeah, I don't... Oh, honestly, is it gonna I be the week no after? idea what we're going to talk about. Um, we might take a week we off. Might take, there, there's a strong chance we might take next week off, but yeah, we'll have training camp news uh, the, the following week. We'll be able to kind of catch up on everything that's happened. Yeah, and make sure to catch us on the Twitter so you can see some of the examples of these plays. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It can be at Newman NFL. All right, thanks again for tuning in for another, uh, the final Scheme Month episode. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.